As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome everybody to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined on the podcast today by both Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. A lot to get through today and we'll get into reports surrounding uh, Maurizio Pochettino and Antonio Conte's futures in just a while. But first, Charlie, we have to talk about the uh, nil-nil draw, which of course feels like a, a, a defeat at Brentford. I don't know where to start with this. Two successive games which were... Somewhere between small M must win and capital M must win. Not even a shot on target. Horrible. Yeah, no shot on target in either. I mean, yeah, a colleague of ours, Luke Brown, he made the point to me during the game. It felt as if the the Brighton game had never stopped and that this game was just a sort of continuation of that. And I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, I think everyone was expecting a reaction. I, I think most fans were understanding of, you know, Brighton was awful, but... They're a decent team. Brighton, are, you know, they're a good team, and that can just happen. You can have those days where you just look like you're ne- you could play all day, as the cliche goes, and not score. But for it to carry on, no, no, hang on. That, that, that cliche is you could play all day and not score. It means you've had a lot of chances. Um, the, that's true. Yeah, no, yeah. What we had a, against on, Brighton and, and, and Brentford <laughs> yeah. was um, no wonder you lost that cliche, Chris Charlie. Uh, uh, yeah, here we go. Was um, you know we could play all day and not get in their penalty box. That's true. Yes, I yeah. Can I rephrase it? We can mm. play all day and not have a shot on target. <laughs> yeah, or a shot. It, it was it was one of those or a shot. Yeah, I mean, I guess this. I mean, they Spurs hadn't drawn a game since December. Since the end of December, it was mad. They never draw games. And Conte did speak about after the Brighton game. It's like if we're gonna if we're not gonna win, at least we don't lose. Obviously, they can see that late goal. Well, mission accomplished in that sense. They did finally get a draw. That, and- that's the formula to avoid relegation: stack up your thirty-eight <laughs> points. I'm not having this today, none of it. No, (laughs) look, there weren't really positives to take. It was was another really insipid performance where they created next to nothing and where you're left feeling... I mean, it's important. I I do think it's worth acknowledging that the the system Spurs have played has served them very well um, for a lot of the time. And it wasn't two weeks ago, they were off the back of winning six out of seven games, scoring for fun... 
were well I was certainly saying I hold my hands up they'd cracked it they looked like they would just score they could score goals in every game and I think you know I don't think many people were coming off the Villa game where they won 4-0 having beaten Newcastle 5-1 6 out of 7 uh, wins from se- 6 wins from 7 games and and thought that different I don't think anyone could have seen the next two games the shot on target drought kicking in after that but do they need to change things? A lot of people think yes. It's hard to believe that they were lucky with four goals at Aston Villa, but they could have been three goals down at half-time themselves, or certainly 3-1 down because they'd scored early. James, one of the downsides of um, you lot having proper jobs is that we can't, because you won't work the weekends, it's like three days since this. So I hope that your feelings, the rawness of your feelings about the game at Brentford have not been dissipated with the passage of time. Uh... No, I don't think so. Not really. And I should say, by the way, Charlie did work at the weekend. He was at the game working. I take I take it all back, Charlie. And- <laughs> Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what a loving God. <laughs> it really is. Uh, no, it, it was an incredibly it was incredibly frustrating. I found it incredibly annoying. I mean, Charlie just said there were no positives. Although to be fair, I actually thought Spurs did defend quite well. I, that, that may be sort of clutching its draws a little bit. I, I I just couldn't believe how flat they were. And how little intensity or like drive there was. Uh, it, it was incredible. And you know, Danny, you said earlier in the season that your theory had long been that however Spurs started a game would be generally how they ended it. And that, that kind of did kind of come true on that occasion, I think, didn't it's, it? It's uh, not it, waterproof, it, it, that theory, but it has served me very well over the years of deciding whether I should start booing after about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> or, I, of course... It, it, this went to an extreme when George Graham was manager. When I used to boo as the team came out, the old White Hart Lane, which you caused... started booing before before the season even started. Look, it it is a calamity these two results, and Antonio Conte is part of the problem here, not just tactically but strategically. If Ralph Ranick's status at Manchester United is so obviously part of the problem with the players because he's not the permanent manager. Then Conte, having a short contract, which may or may not be his choice, I don't know. That, to me, is probably giving the players a little bit of an out. This is something that, at various points this season, you know, I've been told, yeah, it has been a bit unsettling for the players. I mean, certainly, you think back to the Burnley meltdown, and a lot of the players then woke up to reports, saying, you know, we don't know if the manager's going to even be there next season and obviously the short-term contract means we certainly don't know beyond the end of next season I guess a lot of people would say well you know belt up you know these molly coddled players they they either they it's either too tough or too soft or yada 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 so that kind of depends on your perspective but but I, I can totally I totally take the point that you know Conte has never um publicly you know, really given any sense that he's in it for the long haul, and, and and it's funny because I think was it last week or the week before, and I was it must have been two weeks ago when we were feeling positive because I said at various points this season I have sort of felt why don't you just go to PSG if that's what you want, you know, because the, the way you know the way Conte was talking about how and he repeated it on the weekend, you know, this line of I'm I'm not used to or he didn't sorry he he's often said about how he's not used to fighting for the top 4 you know he's used to going for titles etc cetera, etc cetera. this weekend it was more let's not forget where where we were when i took over though i think it's interesting they they were 5 points off the top 4 when he took over they're now 2 which is an improvement of 3 points but it's not a complete uh, transformation obviously that said i i do think conte has done 
a very good job in the way he's improved the team. What did he do at the weekend when the team he picked was clearly not functioning? Yeah, but what's interesting with that, Danny, and I talk about this in in the piece I wrote whilst working on the weekend, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, was that, you know, in the Newcastle game and the Aston Villa game that you mentioned... He, they they also started slowly and in both first halves were, were pretty bad you know they should have definitely been behind against Villa could easily have been behind against Newcastle and were and got an equaliser just before half time and in both those games I think the common consensus amongst the fan base would have been this is rubbish we have to change something at half time either the system or the personnel Conte didn't kept it exactly as it was they scored four in the second half against Newcastle three in the second half against Villa and everyone thought bloody hell he's stuck to his guns that's really worked for him Good job on him that he's not listening to us fans who are just getting riled up. He knows the system. That's what he wants to play and it worked really, really well. The last two games, it hasn't and he hasn't changed it and it hasn't worked. But I don't think it's right to say that it it never works or that you should always just change the system and the personnel when it's not working. I mean, what I would say the difference was, particularly in that Villa game, is they were 1-0 up still. And they were playing badly and you're right, they were massively under the cosh. But in that situation, they were always going to have the... uh, opportunity to try and hit Villa on a counter-attack in the second half which is what they did and how they won that game so convincingly when the margins in reality are probably not quite as wide as that um, so I, I do think that's quite a different situation and when you've come off the back of another game you've not had a shot and you, you're, you've got a game and a half at that point where you've not had a shot on target sure, surely that's the point where you look at you look at your bench you look at your team and say okay how can I change this because something's clearly not right here do we, I mean, I, I, that just seems obvious to me. Well, t- two things. One, I think on that Villa game, the way it played out, it was easy to say that. But I think a lot of people were saying, we are getting overran here. We are getting battered. And if Villa had scored, say, early in the second half, then I think people would have thought you, you were just waiting for that to happen. Even though you, we were he- even though Spurs were ahead, it still looked, the pattern of the game looked as if they wouldn't be for that much longer. And, and I'm not saying... I'm slightly playing devil's advocate here because I do think on Saturday I was as amazed as everyone When you was were working at the weekend. When I was very much <laughs> working. Uh, you know, and it got to 75 minutes, still no subs. And then the and then I saw Davinson Sanchez being readied. And I thought, is there an injury? Like, what... what you know, I was as baffled as everyone. And what does it say about Sergio Regulon that, you know, in a game that Spurs, from our point of view anyway... It looked like they needed to win. They were moving Ben Davis to left wing back. I, I, I mean, I would also say on the defensive point that James mentioned, how solid they look. If you were advocating for the system, which I think it's worth doing just because I know the temptation is to say we, everything needs to change after a couple of bad results. They've conceded three goals in their last six games and look really, really solid. And with this system, if they keep conceding at that rate of goals, they won't need to score many to win games. That's the thing. They don't need to be scoring four or five. They just need to be getting <laughs> more than zero shots on target. But, you know, it's it's not a totally dysfunctional system, I guess is my point. I hear what you're saying, um, and, I, and I don't agree. It's, I'm, I'm, today I'm not in the mood for, for pussyfooting about this. The The truth of the matter is, you know, no, it's nothing personal, of course. The truth of the matter is... It's a bit, it's a bit personal. Nothing in the... <laughs> no, little, it is against you, James, not, not poor Charlie... Thank um, you. The, the 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 people who are playing the system at wing back are not good enough to beat consistently beat Premier League teams, and you know you can have your system, but uh, because it gets down, it's too much trust the process, then isn't it? Look, Emerson Royale may or may not be a decent right back. I know what he isn't, and that is a decent right wing back. Neither Cessignon nor Reggion have done enough 
in the attacking half. They get there. They're, pl- they, they're capable of being in the last third. What do they do with the football? I mean, I mean it's pointless comparing them with Andy Robinson. That, that's, that's not fair because, you know, he's so outstanding. But even other, uh, you know, exponents of that position from a three or a four at the back, they're just not good enough footballers to make this work long term. And unfortunately, I, I feel that Conte is completely wedded to it, Charlie. And he can turn around exactly as you've done and he can defend it. Spurs have increased the number of points they've been getting since he got the job from a pretty low base uh, under under Nuno and all the rest of it. But the evidence of your own eyes is that it's just not threatening teams enough at the moment at a critical time of the season. Now, I, I don't call it a critical time, critical time of the season anymore because I think that that's done now for Spurs. The turnaround of Arsenal winning the games they're expected to lose and Spurs not winning the games they're expected to let's get, let's get decent results out of means that I can't see it now myself. And do you really think that? But I mean, Absolutely, the, I do. But it's changed so... Like, the amount it changes week on... I mean, like, who who after the Villa game could, you know, thought Spurs wouldn't have a shot on target in the next two? Who after Arsenal hadn't scored... had scored once and lost three games against mid-table teams would get anything at Chelsea and then beat United? Me. Like, it's... Me, we did this last week. Yeah, come on. Like, it's, it's so changeable to think it's over with five... And when Spurs play Arsenal at home. They also play Liverpool That's crazy, away. surely. Let's break this down. Let's break this down. Charlie, do you think Spurs are going to get a result at Anfield? No, I don't. I, uh, but I didn't think do they'd think get Arsenal one at City. Gonna be, I don't, do you think I, Arsenal are going to win against West Ham who haven't got any defenders and are going to be thinking I, about the Europa League? I think they could well drop points in that game. And who, who would have gone into the City game when Spurs had just lost three in a row and thought they were going to get anything from that? No one. I think, Literally I think no that kind one. of game's already different in February than it is in April or May. Even. Why? I mean, <laughs> crazy. it's been such a wit to think that... It's impossible after some of the results we've had, after how changeable and up and down it's been, I, th- I think is ludicrous. Let's have a bet. Let's have a gentleman's bet. All right. Is, I, that, well, a yeah, is th- that for charity? Can we do a, ch- a charity bet? Yeah, sure. We won't even agree on what charity though, will we? Let's be honest. Uh, we can pick one. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. You only get the same three points for beating Chelsea at home as you, as you lose three points for getting beat at home by Brighton. But with the games running out, these things do take on a significance greater than the actual points. But, but one thing as well, I, I know it, having just said it's complete folly to try and predict games, which, you know, it yep. is. But one thing I, I do think that point does make a bit of it rather than losing the game does make quite a big difference potentially because it means if, say, this week Arsenal don't really have the wiggle room of if if Spurs had lost, Arsenal could draw and remain ahead of Tottenham if they beat Leicester. Whereas now, if if Arsenal was to draw at West Ham, which I think is a perfectly foreseeable outcome, and Spurs win, then Spurs go back into fourth. Because Spurs have got that better goal difference, uh, that point does give them still that that point could be really important. Is all I'm saying, I guess it could be it could be that close. The game Arsenal have got, I think, it could be a banana skin Newcastle, a Newcastle away. away game on yeah. the Monday night. But the timing yeah. of that, I think, for Spurs is quite bad. After the derby, when it maybe would be better psychologi- psycholo- psychologically, psychologically, if it was before that. So Arsenal go into that game and draw that game, perhaps, and then come to Spurs and have a more or less straight shootout. I, I, I just have, a, I just think, if Arsenal are ahead after that North London derby, which I think more likely than not they will be now. I think they're going to have enough in them to win those last two games. Whereas if it's in a balance, I think it makes it a bit more it makes it a bit more difficult for them. Charlie, it's just that nothing I've seen in the last two games tells me this Spurs team will be up up enough or good enough 
to to win the four games other than Liverpool that they've got to win. Sure, I, but but I think as well, you know, was there much in the Brighton? Brighton lost six games out of seven. And the one game they didn't lose was a nil-nil draw at home to Norwich. Then they went and beat Arsenal and Spurs away. I mean, there was nothing in their seven games, literally nothing, that said they were going to do that. And those games, Brighton at home for both Arsenal and Spurs were, okay, yep, three points, may as well give them those three points now. That's all done. That's all good. And they lost them both. The, the idea that just off the two games, it's, yeah, Kane and Son, they're done. They're never going to score or have a shot on target again. I, I personally, I, I just think given how, how, how huge the momentum shifts have been, the lesson from all of that is that there's every chance there could be more of them before the end of the season. Perhaps I've been ground down by the years of watching them do this. Maybe. I hope not. I just think the, ne- the nearer not. you get to the end, the less likely that is to happen, right? What, me or, me or the season? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> but, you know, when you're, when you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 games from the end and there's a momentum shift, you can usually imagine with teams of this standard, there'll be another one, as Charlie was saying, at those points of a season. But when you get to 4 or 5, I think it's way less likely. Speaking of which, does it feel like this run-in has been going on for like 10 years? It, like, it, I feel like this season's never going to end. You got it, that it, right. It's just like, it just feels like it's been nip and tuck for just months and months and months. Well, at least at least we can, I think we can probably agree that Manchester United are gone now, um, who, uh, you know, I was fretting about a little bit. Um, they're running, it, you know, Insofar as we can predict anything, they have a home match against Chelsea um, that I wouldn't expect them to win. Then they play Brentford at home. Then they go to Brighton away and Palace away. Neither of those are gimmies and they're already points behind. So it, I guess it is down to the two North London clubs. I suppose that is a, a positive to be taken from the way the results have gone in the past two weeks. Do Spurs have a problem with predictability? Manchester City, we know how they're going to play. Liverpool, we know how they're going to play. Their predictability is not a problem because what they do is so good and they do it at such a high level. I hate the phrase found out because it's so definite, it's so finite, it's, it's so complete. But our coach is working out what Spurs are doing and does he have to change it? I know on Thursday when we do the next podcast, we're going to actually talk about what we would do for the next game. And I sense, Charlie, you and I, if, if you're on that one, you and I are not going to agree about this because uh, um, my plan is marked top secret stra- stroke radical. Um <laughs> No, no, I, I, I think there are definitely changes to be made. Eric Dyer's not playing in the back four. That's all I'm saying in advance. Oh, yeah. It's all happening. No, no, I think there's definitely scope for changes to be made. I just think there is also a view, um, you know, not to throw the baby out of the bathwater. But, I mean, th- but this issue was, you know, was something I wrote about after was, and again, yeah, inverted commas, found out. But, I mean, I, th- I thought it was interesting after the game because Ericsson was speaking about how, you know, he, he was asking, like, were you um, a sort of mole in the dressing room? You've played with Conte, you've played with Spurs. And he said, yeah, I was um, obviously Thomas Frank spoke to me a lot. But then he said, but he knew, of course he knew in brackets how Spurs were going to play. Everyone who plays against Tottenham and against Conte's system, they know most of the time how they're going to play. And then I asked Thomas Frank about this because I thought that was quite telling. I mean, it's self-evident in a way, but it's just quite interesting when Christian Eriksen says it, you listen. And, and, and Frank basically said, he finds it easier to play against teams where you sort of know what their attacking patterns are because that's partly how he likes to coach, he said. He said it's really hard to stop, but at least you sort of know what's coming. I think that's a really good point as well because I was thinking about this, about how teams generally have to keep evolving the way they're playing because they sort of get caught at. Once teams sort of work out how they're doing it, 
it becomes easier to defend against. The problem is, but then I thought about a team like Liverpool, who have played much the same way for the last few years. But as you say, Liverpool have absolutely, or they've developed players into being absolutely elite players. And I think we thought a couple of weeks ago that Kane, Son and Kulisewski could be that. You know, certainly in the run, and I don't know about the long term, because we haven't really seen enough Kulisewski to necessarily say that. But the way he was playing, it felt like, well... They're just going to overwhelm opposition defences. I think as well, a a listener made the point to me, which I think is a really good one actually, about Kudusevsky, since uh, listener Joe Impey, he was saying that since um, Royale has come in and Doherty's been out, Kudusevsky has struggled a lot and how that may not be a coincidence. I think there, there might well be something in that, that, you know, when Doherty was there overlapping, getting into dangerous positions, occupying defenders, that opened up space for him. And as, as we've said, that's just not really Royale's game. When you mentioned Kulusevsky's name there, James made a face like a man standing on an upturned plug in his socks. Uh, he is, I mean, he has been the one. I think he's probably personified the difference. And you, you mentioned Kane before. But for me, he's been the one who in these two games has just looked like, like, just comp- like a million miles away from those kind of five or six games before where they were free scoring and playing really well. He's just looked completely lost. Like, like it's been like his first couple of games, so similar. He's looked really far off the pace. He's not been involved in any of the interplay, really. He's not got into the right position. His movement off the ball has been really bad. It's like a combination of all Something those things. Something about his physical like... movements, when he's not playing well, or when the team's not playing well, makes him look a bit lumbering, yeah. don't they? Yeah, 100%. I definitely think that. And I think when you look back on those first couple of games, when we, when we had no idea who he was, really, or what he did, you can kind of see why we thought, why you probably thought he was rubbish. Mm-hmm. Like I was obviously aware. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the funny um, thing with the, this season, though, James, is that like any of us, you can have a re- one can have a really bad take, even if it gets disproven. It'll probably then be Thanks proven the other way. Yeah, yeah. But like the way it's gone is that every take has just sort of gone full circle. So you're probably say one is probably safe with any take this season. Obviously, if Spurs had won the game four one, for instance, the next question I think would have been a, a would have tasted very sweet in my mouth. But now it tastes what is that? Ashes, vinegar, and that sort of black grease from under the cooker. That's what it tastes like because. Isn't it great to see Christian Eriksen playing at such a high level again? Yeah, uh, it's. I, I mean, yes, it is. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I know we talked about this last week, but it does seem incredible that he's not at Spurs. Like, I, I don't. That that seems like one of those things that could have been done and would have been would have served the purpose for everybody involved. But um, yeah, you're right, and and I can see if you were a Brentford fan, I think you'd probably be a little bit pissed off by like all of the sort of loving around Ericsson and Spurs and this kind of suggestion oh yeah that it's like a done oh, deal yeah. that he's going to go back to Spurs in the summer which I just don't think is the case at all I think it's a little bit disrespectful for the club you know to the club who, who basically took a chance on him and who have like you know he's benefited from them as much as he's benefited or they've benefited from him that, that might not be true because he's going to keep him in the Premier League I mean look if you go back what will it be eight months or whatever ten months sorry to think that we would be you know frustrated that Christian Ericsson has contributed to Spurs not winning a Premier League game uh, hmm. Bless him. That's I mean, all yeah, you can exactly. say. Uh, it is, yeah, exactly. Let, let's not. I, you know, I wish I. It's 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 a fantastic story. Yeah. it's a bit of a shame for Spurs. That is. Uh, what, what I wanted to say it. was, you know, uh, oh, and Christian Eriksen's consolation goal when Spurs were four up was a thing of beauty. That was. It's great to see him <laughs> yeah, play yeah. so well. Um, at the moment, I can't be like. Can, I, can we just talk about the corners a second? Because I don't yeah. think he played. I think he played maybe one into the near post. Every other corner he played was that one right over to the far post to Tony. A lot of them were anyway. And, and Spurs absolutely didn't deal with it at all, did they? Yeah. yeah, that was crazy. Three in the first half. 
I, I, and you know, we talked about that corner thing on the podcast way back before that he was trying to do something incredibly difficult that when it worked would be like leads to a good chance. But it does make you realise that it was a Spurs tactical thing, probably more than an Ericsson thing. Yeah, his his set piece delivery was excellent, and it, but it was a sort of sign of the lethargy in the first half that three times they did that back post one and every time no one was there to pick it up but I do I mean watching Ericsson on Saturday was incredible I mean you you sort of forget his intelligence the angles he's always looking to create and because he's so two-footed it just increases the chances he can find the right angle and the inventiveness and gives him a quarter of a second more than everybody else has got because yeah exactly exactly there was a in the first half I think it was where he sprayed one diagonals one off either foot within about a minute of each other and you're just there open mouth like I mean what's so amazing about it is obviously the circumstances are so unusual which is why he's playing at Brentford and it feels like on a computer game or something where you cheat and get a player who you would never be able to sign and he does look I mean Brentford were really impressive on the weekend. You know, they they probably should have won the game. And I thought Conte yeah, loads of players missing. They're as well, lo- exactly. They, they, we talked about West Ham before. But Brentford had like three or four players missing, like key players for them. That's the thing at the ground when the team sheets came out, and I was with um, Jay Harris, who's our Brentford writer, and it was like, oh god, you know, they already knew they were going to be missing some, but now they're missing. They were missing four pretty key first team players, and they should have won the game. But clearly, you know, Ericsson elevates them so much. And and I can see like James's point. You know they were the ones that took a chance on him in January, and it's an, it's absolutely incredible that six Premier League starts on from a point at which we were wondering whether he would ever play the sport again. He now feels like absolutely in most people's eyes a player that Spurs should be signing. I mean, what an incredible few months! By the way, been. I think if you went back, if you went back to the to when he signed, Brentford were like they were circling the drain. Basically, oh, they looked like their their form was they awful. Were doing. I mean, and they've won before Sunday, uh, Saturday, so they'd won every game that he started. Yeah, yeah. With him starting five wins and a draw, before he came, I think they'd lost seven out of their previous eight in the league, something like that. I mean, they were, and the other was a draw. I mean, they were massively on the slide. Well, congratulations to him. Now, I have to say, the producers asked me then, uh, you know, perhaps we could discuss uh, Arsenal's return to form. But as an act of mercy, no, thanks. as my act of mercy to my fellow Spurs fans, let's not do that. Let's move straight past them. On this occasion, we'll continue to talk tangentially about Christian Eriksen when we come back after a quick break, because we'll be asking the question, if he was to return to Spurs, which of his previous managers would he be playing (laughs) under? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. James and Charlie with me, Danny Kelly. And, um, well, yes, another tick in that amazing list now of people who have left Spurs and won a trophy because Maurizio Pochettino has won his first league trophy as a manager as PSG clinched the French title at the weekend with a fantastic goal by the much maligned Lionel Messi. This was, of course, immediately followed, such as the dysfunction at Paris, by the news that uh, Pochettino will be getting his do we still get P45s? I've lost track of the British state. Um, we'll be getting, uh, be asking for the, the company car keys to be returned to him, uh, to the club very, very soon. They're going to get rid of him probably before the end of the season, which then set off a, a load of speculation. Some of it seemed quite informed. Antonio Conte um, had uh, very generously offered his services to Paris Saint Germain as possibly, you know, the sort of person who might take them closer to the uh, Sunlit Uplands of the Champions League. I see Antonio Conte is now odds-on favourite to be the next Paris Saint-Germain manager, James, ahead of people like Zinedine Zidane. Are Spurs in danger of losing this bloke? Uh, I, I don't think it's quite as straightforward, I think, as maybe been made out. Clearly, Pochettino is at risk at PSG. And Antonio Conte would obviously be one of the managers that a club like that would look at, given his pedigree of winning league titles. What I would say, though, is his record in the Champions League is rubbish, yes. isn't it? Surely what PSG want is a guy who can win European... With a pedigree of, you know, they want someone like, you know, look at the Champions League. They want someone like Ancelotti or Emery or someone who, yeah. who can go the distance in the Champions yeah. League. Do you see the joke And I've Thomas made? Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, yeah, exactly. Mm. One of those guys. Laurent Blanc? He is apparently favourite for the gig. I mean, Charlie, you're, you're desperate to say something. I can hear your breathing. No, I think it's interesting on Conte, because I know we've spoken about this before and I know how unsuitable you think he is for PSG. And... and but I do think we sometimes underestimate with him. I was talking to James about this earlier. My impression of him is he is just desperate to win things, and for him, we're all winning desperate a, to win things. No, but some more than others. Some would, I think, some would take more satisfaction from being part of a project and getting a team like Spurs into the Champions League than they would winning League and League One titles. I think Conte would rather win the title with PSG than be battling for top four with Spurs. He said as much. You know, he, he thinks he should be winning titles and I think he's just so well, ferociously competitive that that would... But what gives him the right to say, I, I, I need to win titles? Everybody feels that. Well, the fact that he's won he's titles won wherever, months, yeah. wherever he's been, I think gives him that right. That certainly would yeah, be Joseph his view. Yeah, Joseph Mourinho had it's... won titles everywhere he'd been on one trophy till he got to Spurs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, really, Poch is going to go. Re- it's a question of where. Very soon. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's that's going to happen, and then once that, ha- I think what's happened once that happens, PSG don't have. There aren't many managers that they even either haven't had before, or that are available, you know, or that are at the level 
that they're at, which we may scoff and say PSG are a mess, they're a circus. They are, sure. but they also have some of the best players in the world. Conte just is one of the few who is in that bracket. Zidane is another, and he obviously does have the Champions League pedigree. And, you know, I think for a lot of people there, he would be the first choice, but he may want to take over at France once the World Cup's over. The complication being, of you know, and that doesn't come till December, but he couldn't take a job before then. So, and also I think, the key difference here from where we've been previously, I mean, it reminds me a bit of the situation when United sacked Mourinho in December 2018 and it was obvious they wanted Pochettino. But I think most Spurs fans were reason felt reasonably secure that yes, Pochettino would flutter his eyelashes as well. Let's not make out he was an angel, but no, they wasn't. felt pretty secure he wasn't going to go. He was going to stay at Spurs. I think it's a similar situation now, but... On what basis would you think, no, but Conte's Conte's in it for the long haul. He'll he'll want to stay at Spurs. He doesn't want to go to PSG. I don't think there's not really any grounds for thinking that. So that's why it it feels right and it feels nerve-wracking if you're worried about losing Conte, as a lot of people are. You know, I think the Pochettino angle changes that. A lot of people are actually like, oh, well, if Conte goes, I'm sort of fine with that because we'll bring Pochettino back. Well, there are plenty who think that's a terrible idea as well. Yeah, yeah, of course there are. But I mean, that does soften. I think if if it were just losing Conte, then I think there'd be a lot more anxiety about that and probably a lot more anger towards him. But I think for a lot of people, they they would view that as a, a swap worth making. Personally, I think to change manager again, even if it is Pochettino coming in, I, I think Conte, I think the best thing for Spurs is for Conte to have next season. But if he wants to leave, I mean, what? Uh, you know, well, that's, that's just yeah. not sustainable, is it? But then I get I mean, look. We had a conversation before, uh, and I know people get annoyed when we refer back to the conversations that we've had off air. But Charlie and I had a conversation earlier today where I, I mentioned when Harry Redknapp was the manager in 2012, and was sort of, you know, making eyes at the the FA when Fabio Capello left the England job, and in the end, he didn't get that job. But he had spent sort of two months, not explicitly, but kind of it. it it hit, and certainly not playing down links yeah. to the England job before Euro 2012. And Spurs form just completely went off a cliff in those two months. And then Roy Hodgson got the job and suddenly it picked up again. But you can't like have a manager flaunt himself to another club or, or an association and then and not get that job. Then walk back into the dressing room and say, at that point, Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, now Harry Kane, Son, whoever. <laughs> well, you can't go. I mean, I don't really see how you have that authority to then walk back into the dressing room and insist on on those players being committed. I just I feel like you really undermine that if you if you so if you publicly caught a job. Now at this stage, we don't know the extent to which Conte has actually thrown himself lustfully into PSG's arms. <laughs> uh, that, that may change in the coming hours, but I, 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 if that is the case, and that is if that is what's happened, personally, I'd be surprised if. Daniel Levy and the rest of the hierarchy at Spurs were impressed with that. I don't. Well, yeah, I, I think just, I don't think that's workable for me. I, I know other people would disagree, and I want that to they want they want him to persist with that. Whatever happens, if he's like approaching other clubs or people working with him are approaching other clubs on his behalf, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that that's like a recipe for success next season. I mean, that's clearly beyond the pale. But even the general up and down nature of the last few months as I know unsettled a few people at the club because it, it and, and that's what they knew when they signed him you know they can't have any complaints you know it is you know who knew Conte is volatile you know that is what you're getting there's also you could argue an extent to it if it's as simple as 
a big job's come available and a big club wants Conte because he's one of the few elite managers. You could argue that it's just a price you have to pay for having a manager like that in the same way that having really good players is other big clubs are going to want them. The issue is, I guess, the extent to which we think that interest has been invited by the fact that Conte has never suggested he's at Spurs for the long term. And I, and I think that's a, that's a, there is a difference. And I think that's a justifiable opinion to have that, you know, it's not just a United wanting Pochettino because Pochettino's amazing or whatever. You know, it's not like with, it's not like you hear PSG being like, we could get Klopp, we should get Klopp. Obviously, they know they can't get him. So they just, it's not even, it's not even talked about. I mean, also, that we're different, and I know people have drawn this comparison with Pochettino at flirting with other clubs, which he did do. But I think the difference there was he'd been in the job longer than six, one, he'd been in the job longer than six months and achieved a hell of a lot more. And two, I think he had enough of a relationship with the players to, be able to kind of convince them that he was while he was there he was committed. I just don't I just don't imagine that Conte has quite the same uh, mm. bonds with them. I just I I just can't see that they're going to be as convinced by that given everything that's happened over the last well, few months. The, the 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 people who run Tottenham can pussyfoot around Antonio Conte if they want to, and because they have, as you rightly say, Charlie, they knew what they were getting. I still think it's a pretty good gig to be the manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, given the background of what you've got, the support, the training grounds, all the rest of it, and some brilliant footballers. I'll go further. I actually think it's an honour to be the manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And Antonio Conte clearly doesn't agree with me. I'm sorry, mate, I just don't get it. At least pretend that you're happy to be in your work. It's a it's a big old performative act, this thing about, I expect so much better, I should be going for league titles. Mate, you've got a job, get on with it. Like ultimately, look, we, I know we talked about this at the time, I mean, uh, we're at risk of going over old ground, but that's the thing we do sometimes do in this podcast. With relish, uh, with relish. He, yeah. he is Tottenham manager for a reason, right? He is not Real Madrid manager, Barcelona manager, Man City, Liverpool manager, even Chelsea manager. For a reason. There is a reason he has come in to take over a club who are mid-table when he took over, who have finished outside the Champions League places the last two seasons. There's a reason he's not at an, a top-top, elite, elite club. It's not just a complete coincidence. He's not like hard done to that that's <laughs> happened. It's happened for a reason. It's happened because of how he's left the last couple of jobs he's had. Mm. It's, it's not a complete freak. Look, I don't know. Maybe he's in love with the, the 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 club, and I am completely misreading his body language and his words. Um, but you can only go on what you think yourself. Can I? I think that's really true. What both of you have said, and I, and I, I just wonder to put to you the counter argument, which is a, a an argument some people make, which is to what extent, as much as Spurs is a great institution and has a rich history and all of that, it hasn't won anything since two thousand eight. It has often fallen at the final hurdle. How much? Is there an argument to say it needs someone to come in and say, no, bollocks to all the game is about glory. We need to ship out some of these guys who aren't good enough. We need to shake things up. We need to, people to be told uncomfortable truths, be that players, be that the club's hierarchy. I'm the guy to do it. I'm going to piss you off in the process, but back me and we'll do something next season. But all of that is fine. But it has to be combined with I'm the man to do it and I'm here for the long the long haul to oversee that. Which, to be fair, to Jose Mourinho, by the way, he said a lot of that stuff and, and hinted towards a lot of those things without also saying, and I know there were moments where he made it feel like he was above Spurs, but whenever he was saying those things, he wasn't kind of caveating it with, otherwise I'll 
piss off and take the next job that and comes And at up. Manchester United, he said, this is all nonsense. I'm going to sort this out and won three trophies. He didn't sort it out, but at least he won three collateral trophies in, in the attempt. Let's not Let's not give him the charity shield. No, no, that's two. I, I agree. I, sorry, I can just see his fingers going up with the three trophies. Yeah. Let's talk about Pochettino for a second. Because he now finds himself, I think, in a really interesting position. Having uh, ascended to the heights of being the PSG manager, he now, no doubt, and certainly his uh, agent, whoever that is, will regard himself as an absolutely elite manager. Where could he go? Because he, 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 I don't suppose he would accept a second-level club. He's won three trophies. I think they are three genuine trophies, Charlie. I don't think they are. Isn't one of them a super cup? Yeah, yeah I think two one of them. then. Two trophies. Yeah, <laughs> Le Charity Le Shield de Charité. Where, where where could he go? Well, Real Madrid is the obvious mm-hmm. one, but whether that will happen straight away, I mean, the it's hard to see it happening this season unless they got absolutely battered by City in a really embarrassing way. I mean, obviously, you know, that could definitely happen. Yeah. which could happen. Or if you're him, you just wait it out and say, well, they'll get rid of Ancelotti. He's not in for the long term. That's the next job to take I think other than that you look at the big clubs where I think he would be most suited to or he's at that level anyway I don't know I mean obviously then Spurs would be if uh, <laughs> if Conte's gone then obviously he, that's the obvious this one this is the irony this is what I was this is the world kind of turning itself inside out because the truth is if when Pochettino gets uh, removed at Paris Saint-Germain let's just say that Antonio Conte was approached by the, the Parisians and, and went there. Then you look down the list of managers Spurs could get, and just as you could argue Mourinho was the best, clearly, that was available to Tottenham at the time, and Antonio Conte was clearly the best that was available to Tottenham at the time, I don't know where you'd look beyond Maurizio Pochettino, even allowing for all the baggage of coming back and comfort zones and you know the fact that Levy ran him a merry dance at certain times in the transfer market. Pochettino would be the obvious choice, wouldn't he? Well, unless you go someone like Graham Potter, mm-hmm. who obviously was, you know, they wanted him. He was one of the people they wanted. He certainly knows how to beat Spurs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, there are many. I mean, that, and that's why, you know, may, maybe we'll see more, we are seeing more of clubs going back for old managers because they're, they're a sort of, I don't know, there aren't enough to go round sometimes, it feels like. I don't know. I mean, James, who else would you, who, is there anyone besides Pochettino? I mean, Ten Hag, you would have thought, obviously, he's now... You know, whoever didn't get the United job, you, you might have thought. It's Poch. It can only be Poch, right? I just don't see... I, and it, it's too obvious to actually happen. I am, To me, it feels like one of those things where we're kind of, you know... Two plus two uh, in game two five. Two plus two, exactly, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, is there anyone better to to take that job? May- I mean, who? Maybe, I, mean, I just yeah. don't see that, like, there's anyone with, like, any kind of experience that's going to be able to walk into that dressing room and immediately demand their respect to the players. The senior players, the best players at that club, Kane, Son, Lurie, whoever. Give Nuno um, a second go at it. I think he was uh, real success. Yeah, I really. But how different would it be for Potter or whoever else is the kind of like, you know, the, the fresh, flash in the pan Premier League manager at the moment? Uh, how different would that be for them, the Nuno, in terms of like immediately winning those players over? Mm. And I'm sure like. There are one or two who there would be who would be a slightly awkward sense if Pochettino came back because he can't possibly have had a brilliant relationship with all of those players in the last few months. But I, I, from what you kind of hear and what we understand, a lot of those players definitely were keen for him to come back at various points over the last three years. So, yeah, 
I mean, I don't, I don't think that would be like there would be like insurmountable differences there. Danny, could he be the man to finally get the best out of Tungi and Dumbo? Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> imagine it's what it's what he was it's what he was brought in to do, right? And Dumbo to play for Pochettino. Could he finally get that? And to he work? definitely fancies Lo Celso. So uh, you know, th- those are two big transfers Spurs could do that would cost like, them nothing. Like two new signings, yeah, exactly like that. Which is going to appeal to Enoch, uh, right? Uh, it's like a done deal. Where's my there? big rubber stamp? Bang! It's a done deal. Listen, all of this will be put into a less speculative light, no doubt, by Charlie's piece, which is coming out in The Athletic. When, Charlie? Uh, well, sorry. sorry. Tomorrow I'm morning? Go to the top of the tree. When, James, is that coming out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah t- tomorrow morning. When, yeah. Whenever the big Tuesday bosses morning. decide. Yeah, so, uh, you know, by the time you've heard, you're hearing this podcast, either side of it, Charlie's piece will have come out, which uh, he will have then investigated further the reality of this uh, frenzy of, of speculation about Conte, Pochettino, etc. I think it's perfectly natural for people to speculate about it. Um, while the Spurs manager is not committed long-term to the club, contractually at the very least, and Pochettino will be floating around somewhere in the manager's sphere very, very soon. Um, listen, you can read that article and much else besides, because if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, then you should do so. Sign up right now to read all of our articles about Spurs, as well as mountain of other stuff, often absolutely brilliant, on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just a pound a month for six months. Total bargain. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Thursday when we're going to talk a little bit about how we're going to help Antonio Conte by changing the team drastically. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.